0: Hey, my name is Lucas, and I want to welcome you to the official podcast of Coastline Young Adults from Coastline Church in Victoria. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you in your faith and helping you apply it to real life in real time. Here you'll find messages from our weekly service at Coastline Nights and other conversations where we talk and tackle what it means to be a follower of Jesus in today's culture. Everything you find here will point you to the truth and hope of Jesus. So grab a beverage, enjoy the message, and lean into how God wants to speak to you today. Well, good evening to you. Are you doing good? Happy Easter uh, to you, and I know, again, maybe it's your first time here, and you're brand new, or maybe uh, you're at family church this morning, and you're here tonight, whatever it is, this is, again, primarily young adult service, like like Trina was saying, but you're welcome here, I really hope you know that, no matter if you find yourself in that category or not, because truthfully... I wouldn't say I do. So you're welcome here. I want you to know that. And again, Happy Easter. You know, we haven't done something yet that is a little bit uh, customary, if you will, in tradition. It holds deep roots in tradition, even kind of coming out of Luke 24 and and even in the kind of the Orthodox Church. Uh, I'm going to say something. I'm going to, I'm interested in the response of this room to see if you kind of know what I'm getting at here. Uh, Church, He is risen. Yeah, that's what I expected. Like 14 of you would say something. Um, church, it's an exciting thing when you, when you say He has risen, because it's Easter Sunday, it's Resurrection Sunday. So I'm going to say it one more time, and I want to see a little oomph. Okay? It's not 6 a.m. It's 6 p.m. He has risen, Church. He has risen. 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm not still. I'm not feeling it. Maybe by the end of it, it's gonna. We're gonna have a little extra. But there is something powerful about tonight, today. Resurrection Sunday and we've we've kind of walked through it. We've been on this road to the resurrection and you see this beautiful creative piece by our team and the song and you're seeing all the things that like like Trina was saying there is victory today that we can hold on to. There really is. And as we've kind of walked this road to the resurrection, as we started at Lazarus two weeks ago, where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, that's John eleven twenty-five. 25. As we walked into kind of Palm Sunday, where Jesus shows up and he's, walking, he's coming into Jerusalem. As we, as we walk through Good Friday and all the different places, he finds himself in the garden at the trial, being accused. And then, of course, on Calvary. As we walk through all these places, today we find ourselves in the, in, the, in the best place, the empty tomb. He is not here, the Bible says. He is risen. Death could not... Oh, nice one. Sorry, you're about to jump in. I appreciate Ten golden stars for you. You get the welcome basket. Just kidding. I don't have the power or authority to give you that thing, but if I could, it would be yours. <laughs> On cue, I love it. Thank you so much. But it's true, right? Like, he's risen indeed. Thank you. Like, there's something really powerful about today. If you were a follower of Jesus, friends, today marks something so special. Nothing, nothing, nothing is more important than right this moment where, where there's resurrection life, that death could not hold him. The, the tomb is empty. The stone has been rolled away. And the sin and the wrath and the heaviness and the pain could not hold Jesus in the grave. He is risen, and this is what, that was, it's okay, we've said it once or twice, it's good, I trust you guys, and as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, I just wanted to say too, and I, I even saw someone post this, this this morning, which I thought was so interesting, I never grow tired of talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, I have only so much content to kind of get into, if you will, but how can you ever grow, grow weary of preaching about the gospel, that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, and that Death could not hold him. Friends, it's the best news. It's the good news. Uh, we read it this morning at sunrise. We were in Mark 16. I won't read it again. Any of you are at sunrise with me this morning? Extra jewels, extra jewels. you in heaven for sure. Well done. You, you're awesome. But t- tonight I want to kind of take us on a bit of a different journey as we kind of wrap up the series. We, we understand what happened at Calvary. We saw it on Good Friday. We, we praise God as we sing about it. We know what he did, that he died and rose again. But something really powerful happens kind of after the women come to the tomb. They see him. They, they talk to the disciples. They're like, this is, this is wild. You wouldn't believe it. We, we went to see Jesus, but he wasn't there. And, and someone told us that, listen, he has risen. And we're, we're so, we, don't, we don't know what's going on, but something's happened, and it's incredible. And so the disciples are like, they're not sure what to think, and Peter and John get to the tomb, and they don't know what to think. And so just after that, I wanna tap into Peter's story, because I think, I think Peter's story has incredible implications for us. Uh, Delmore always says this, he's our resident theologian, and he serves here diligently, and he always, always say this, that the, if the cross is true and if you really believe it, then there are implications that come with that. And I think we see it in, in Peter's story. And so if you have a Bible, we're gonna be in John 21. It's kind of the very end of the gospel, his gospel, and we've been kind of tracking in John this whole series. There's a blue Bible in front of you. You can look or you can just, it'll be up on the screen. But there's something so incredible about this, and I don't want us to miss it. It says this in John 21, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. So again, this is after the empty tomb. This is after everything else is happening. It says he appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, and John is very particular about what he writes, he's very detailed. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel, from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together, so about seven in total. This is what what Peter says, I'm going out to fish, I'm headed out, and they said, "Well, well, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So again, this is after the resurrection. Peter is like, wants to see his best friend so bad and he doesn't really know what's happening. He's feeling a little bit uncertain, a little bit frustrated, a little bit like what's happening right now. And so what does he do? He goes fishing. He goes fishing. And I, again, I've heard a lot of sermons. I've heard a lot of like ideas and analogies and pieces of why this is important, why this matters. Can I just say, I, I don't think it's because Peter was feeling ashamed. I don't, I don't think that's what happened here. Uh, Andy said it this morning, and I agree with him. I really believe that there is a sense of hope in Peter. He misses his best friend, and so what he does is he actually goes back to the thing where he really met and encountered Jesus for the first time. If you, if you were to flip in your Bible to Luke five, you'll see a, a miraculous catch happen in that moment. So many of Peter's most significant moments with Christ happened in a boat, happened on the water, happened around the sea, happened where in his happy place. He's a fisherman, friends. And Jesus continued to meet him there and meet him there and meet him there and meet him there. And so he's looking for his best friend, doesn't know what's happening, and so what does he do? he goes to the place where Jesus has continued to meet him. I think that really matters. You might be looking for Jesus. Maybe I met someone this morning who was like, it's Easter and I'm feeling spiritually dead. And so I came to the one place I remembered meeting him. I came to church. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I'm like, well, good for you. He almost felt bad about saying it the way he was saying it. Like, I'm here because I'm lost. Good for you, that's incredible. And can I just encourage you, maybe you're here because it's just Easter Sunday and that's what I do. There is nothing wrong or cliche about coming to church on Easter. Seriously, any, any guilt or shame or anything like that you feel about coming just on Easter, Chris, can we just throw that all aside and say there's something powerful at Easter. It's the resurrection. There's something powerful about coming to the place that you find and feel most familiar with Jesus. I applaud you. Well done for getting here. Well done for saying, I don't know what it is, but when I come to church or this church or whatever it is, I feel significant growth with the one whom I love and it's Jesus. Good for you. There's nothing wrong with, with going back to the place that feels familiar, that reminds you of, of where you were called out by him because that's what he's done. Peter was called out by Jesus on a boat and so he returns back to that place. So maybe for you it's church or a small group or it's family dinner or it's a specific place you serve. Or Honestly, I know this for Maybe it's like camp. Maybe you want to head up to summer camp and serve there because you've had some significant moments there. Awesome. There's nothing Wrong with that. I think it's powerful, and I think that's exactly what Peter was doing here. If we keep reading, it says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No. Like, I love this part. Like, I don't fish, but I want to. I'm the guy who has all the fishing gear and has fished once in a lake in Saskatchewan. <laughs> I live on Vancouver Island, and I can... Honestly tell you, I have never fished once here. I know, leave me alone, okay? And I, I, I just think it's so funny. They, they got nothing, and Jesus is like, any fish? And it's like, no. <laughs> God, sure. And then he says this, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple, and I love this part, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, oh, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. There's nothing, I don't want to elaborate too much on this point. Like when they're fishing, obviously they get down to just like their loincloths. And in this moment, he doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to see Jesus for the first time in so long since, since all of this has happened in his life, since so much has taken place and be like dripping wet in the loincloth. So yeah, he, he throws on his outer garment. He's going to see Jesus and he starts swimming and he heads over there as fast as he can. And I love this part because it shows us something. See, John is so particular in his writing. John consistently refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. I think it's just like so interesting that he writes that about himself. The one whom he loved. Listen, my family's not here, but I'm gonna tell you a secret. I was definitely my mom's favorite, okay? <laughs> and there was three of us. I looked at Trina this morning, and I said, Trina, who's your favorite right now? One, two, three, and we both said the same name. I'm not gonna tell you which one of our kids It was but we said the same name. I love all my kids, you know this, but two of them are just a lot more difficult right now. All the parents in here with their kids, they love you the same, just not all at the same time, you know what I'm saying? Mom and dad in the house, were like, yeah, no, honey, no, no, he's wrong. Pastor, it's wrong. The one whom Jesus loved. I think there's a significant difference between John and Peter, and it's, and it's okay. John understood something really powerful I think like, he, was, he, he didn't deny Jesus three times during the cross. Peter did. And yet, if you read through what Peter's life, like, he was bold in his declaration of who Jesus was. You were the Messiah. There were times when Peter said, well, we'll go with you, we'll die with you. Like, he was constantly, consistently trying to activate and do something for Jesus because he loved him. But John rather than trying to do stuff for God because he loves him, he understood that Jesus did something for, John, for himself because God loved him. And I think sometimes we get this mixed up where, where we wanna be someone who loves God before we recognize that God loves us. Are you seeing the difference here? John is saying, I see Jesus and I know he loves me. And Peter's saying, I see Jesus and I love him. Neither are wrong but one has to come first. And John in his writing continually tells us, I'm the one whom Jesus loved, meaning there was a closeness. I understand the grace of God. I can look at the cross and say, I know that I am loved. Can I just tell you here, no matter where you come from, no matter how long you've been coming to church, no matter what messages you've heard or not, Jesus loves you. If if he didn't, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. And if he didn't go to the cross, the Bible says, then we would have nothing to preach and our faith would be useless. But he did. He went to the cross for you and for me. And I I love Peter and I love John. I'm not saying one's better or not, but John, in this moment, he gets it. And he's saying, listen, I see the cross and I know that I am loved. Well, Peter sees Jesus and says, oh man, I love him. And I wanna do stuff for him. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But there is an order to that. The last time Peter saw Jesus, he denied him three times. There's a heaviness in his heart. And so he jumps out of the boat, rushing to him. I'm assuming he probably in his heart wants to make it right or he at least just wants to see his closest friend. Verse eight, let's keep reading the story. As, uh, the other disciples, excuse me, I couldn't find it. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing in the net of fish. So they were not far from shore, but 100 yards. When they landed, they saw fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was so full of fish, 153, but the net was not torn. If you contrast this to Luke 5, where where Jesus first meets with Peter and, and the net is torn and there's so much fish, he can't even control it. But here John's very specific, 153. And there's a lot of commentary about why some people say it's, there's 153 species of fish at this time and so it's showing how God loves every single person, all types, all, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, all of it encompasses all that. It's a pretty cool thought. Some people take the, the numerology of 153 and if you kind of work that together within the Hebrew Bible, you're actually gonna find that 153 says, I am God. Again, really powerful. But please remember what the story is. I want to just bring the context back into the moment. This is the reinstatement of Peter. Again, let me repeat. The last time they saw each other was at the cross, and Peter denied him after saying before that he was the Messiah three times. Why does this number matter? Why does all this matter? Because something here is changing inside of Peter. The 153 represents... Sure, a lot of fish and all these things. And I think Jesus is trying to show Peter that, yeah, you can catch a lot of fish and I can be here to help you to do that. And you can have the boat and you can do your thing. But ultimately, I brought you the catch. Ultimately, I'm the source. Ultimately, Peter, this is what you need. And I think he is constantly showing Peter, listen, you can catch the fish, you cannot catch the fish. At the end of the day, what matters is this. And so it's interesting to me, yes, the numbers, and I think it's significant, but but what matters most is the relationship, again, that's being reinstated here. Jumping into verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than all these fish? months and months of wages, and the, the, you can sell these, you can hold on, all these, do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than, than this boat? Do you love me more than, than this job? Do you love me more than the sea? This word love is the word agape. It's this unconditional, sacrificial love that we see from Jesus on the cross. And then, and then he responds to him, yes, Lord, you know why that I love you. But this love that, that Peter responds with isn't agape. It's phileo, it's the word for like a brotherly love, a friendly love. And so there's, again, a contrast here. Jesus saying, do you love me unconditionally? Would you sacrifice all of this, the big catch, the boat, the net? Would you, would you give it all away? Do you, love me for, do you love me, Peter? Yeah, yeah. Jesus, you're my best friend. I love you. And then he repeats, no, no. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And again, it's the same thing. Do you agape? Do you unconditionally love me? And he's saying, yeah, yeah. Phileo, like, yeah, I love you feed my lambs feed my sheep take care of my sheep the third time verse 17 it says Simon son of John do you love me and this time Jesus uses the word phileo he actually switches it he says do you do you unconditionally love me will you sacrifice for me okay okay i hear you peter do you love me like friends and I think in this moment, again, he is stretching Peter. He's, he's pushing him, he's challenging him. Three times he asks him a question because three times he denied him. And Jesus is saying, listen, every single time you have denied me, I want you to know I sacrificed for you. Every single time you feel that heaviness, I want you to know that I love you. And he's comparing and saying, listen, I really believe if if Peter would have denied him 12 times, he would have done it 12 times. If if you would have been 50 times in a row, he would have asked them that question 50 times because for every sin that lands in this room, Jesus went to the cross. For every single person, for every single soul, the amount of times that we have said, you know what, I deny Jesus, Christ on the other side, listen, I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm going to go all the way to death. And now I have risen because every person, every soul, every mistake is covered in the name of Jesus. And so, yeah, he denied him three times. And yes, he reinstates himself here, and I think it's so powerful. And he asked him that question. He says, feed my sheep. And in this, this feed moment isn't, again, I've heard a lot of sermons that talk about this in kind of an evangelistic way or an outreach way, like go and help and, and those sort of things. But this feed my lambs, this is a shepherding term. This is a care term. This is one like, like I'm the good shepherd, like Jesus refers to him in terms of pastoring and loving and caring for people. And so he's calling him back to this beautiful profound calling that has always been meant for Peter. One really interesting thing at least I see in this scripture is this. And I'm I'm wrapping up. It's Easter and so I want to keep you guys forever. Why is this story in John's gospel? Like it like it, it is really interesting. For those who don't know, Mark is, is basically, I want to be careful here, it's, it's basically Peter's firsthand eyewitness account. Like, that is, Mark was Peter's close disciple, close friend. It is everything that Peter has, all of his memories, all of his moments, all of his stories packed into one. And so we often, you'll hear me say it all the time, like Mark is kind of Peter's memoir. Why isn't this story in there? Why is it that the writer John, the one whom Jesus loved, the one who gets it, makes sure to put in the reinstatement of someone else. I think Peter had a special calling. I really do. Paul's about to join in the picture and a little bit later in the Bible. Missionary. You know he's he's apostolic. He's gonna plant churches. He's gonna do incredible things. John was this incredible writer. He wrote, the, I mean, my, you guys know this, my, like the, such a dense and beautiful gospel and so much about the cross and Passion Week and he has the epistles and the, like, the revelation. Like he has all, he's a beautiful writer. And he's close to Jesus. So why is he writing about Peter? Why is not Peter putting this story in? John was the writer whom Jesus loved. Paul was the missionary. He was known for his wisdom. He was known for his preaching. And Peter, he just seems like the reckless guy. (laughs) But I just tell you in here, that's not Peter's end. That's not the final piece for Peter. He's not just the guy who denied him three times. Jesus reinstates him. He brings him up because the resurrection, it rescues us from sin. It reinstates our identity and it affirms our calling. And this is what happens for Peter here. Jesus saying, yes, okay, John, you're the writer, and yes, Paul's gonna come, but there's something so powerful and significant for Peter. And can I just tell you, that's why this story gives me so much hope. Because I feel a lot like Peter. (laughs) I feel reckless. I know there's been moments where I've denied my faith in front of other people. I've been in those places. And so when I see how Jesus can reinstate even a guy like Peter, who is down in the dumps, who's who's gone back to something, hoping and praying Jesus will show up because he's denied him three times, it's a reminder to every single one of us that Jesus can turn anyone and anything around. That there is never going to be someone who is too far gone. Yeah, no, Pastor Lucas, I get that, but I promised Jesus. So did Peter. Yeah, but I... Like I did something so bad, and then I ran away from the, the church. So did Peter, he ran off. He was on the shore, he wasn't out searching for Jesus. He wasn't like, you know, I think he's hoping Jesus will show up. He's gambling on this one, but he's not in the synagogue. He's not running for friends and family. He's not like bringing the disciples together yet. He's broken. He's beat up. Guys, he did not his best friend. Who he knew was the Messiah three times, so painfully that he probably didn't want want to watch the, the, the cross. And Jesus says, "Listen, I know you deny me, but if you would just come running back to me, do you love me? Do you, re- do you really know what I'm going to call you to do? Friends, again, the resurrection, yes, it rescues us from our sin, hallelujah. Yes, it reinstates our identity as a child of God, a part of the family in the blessing of God, but it also reaffirms our calling to love, every single person we encounter to love and exalt jesus above everything else to put his motives his desires his passions for me above my desires and my passions and my motives amen he it's it's so much bigger than just well he rose and isn't that awesome yes it's a victory for us defeating death defeating sin but also like puts us on a whole new place and a purpose with jesus up until this moment, I'm not sure Peter knew what to do. But now in this moment, after an awkward confrontation, yes, admitting to the three denials, he's now been reinstated, ready to receive the calling, ready to run in, in, in the lane that God has set for him, that Jesus has set for him. And it's a reminder to every single person, you and me, that there is never anyone ever too far gone for Jesus. It just isn't. It just isn't. This guy walked so close with Jesus and then he denies him. And then Jesus says, he picks him back up. He says, follow me. And in this moment, it's over. I'm not sure if Peter ever fished again, I don't know. All I know is that Peter's the man in Acts. (laughs) He really does some incredible things. So I want to encourage you today. Don't let Easter just like roll on by. Don't let it just be another time where it's like, man, yay, we win. woohoo. No, it's more than that. It's a reaffirmation. It's a reinstatement. It's a restoration of the healing that's taken place in the calling that's ahead of you. He he can turn it all around I think there's someone in here even tonight who's saying like you don't get it you don't know what I've done okay maybe I don't know every piece but Jesus does and he looked his best friend in the eye who denied him three times and said follow me I love you I died for you I choose you I'm with you, I'm beside you, you're never alone. We sang that song tonight. I want. I got your whole heart. We sang that song tonight. How many songs we gotta sing to remember the truth of the gospel? It's the good news that as far as, the Bible says that our sins, as far as the east to the west, our iniquities are, but he covers all. That the grace of God covers a multitude of sin. And that's the greatest part of Easter. That there's nothing you have done, could have done, or are about to do that is too great for the grace of Jesus. Let me pray over you. Tonight, with just, you know, eyes closed, head bowed if that's a comfortable place for you, I just want you to really search your heart. What I mean by that is just Try and remove yourself from any noise or distraction that's beside you or you're hearing and just focus in on what Jesus is saying to you. Tonight I want you to know that every sin, every pain, every bit of heaviness, every burden, is paid in full by Jesus Christ on the cross. It is finished. He sees you tonight. He knows what you're walking in. Don't keep walking away and in denial, but turn towards Jesus. He can turn it all around. There is no amount of pain that you have caused anyone, including yourself or Christ, that makes you too far gone for the grace and love of Jesus. And so in this room, just as eyes are closed, I just wanna encourage you, as a declaration for yourself, as a declaration to God, as a moment between you and Him, if you wanna say, Jesus, I'm tired of going my way and I want to go your way. I want to follow you. I I, I want the rescue. I want the restoration. I want the healing. I want the affirmation. I wanna be a part of the family of God. Lord, I know how you see me, but how I'm seeing myself isn't how I wanna see myself anymore. And so I choose you. And if you're saying yes to Jesus, whether that's a recommitment or a first time decision to say, Lord, I believe you. The resurrection is true. You died for my sin. I'm so sorry for the pain I've caused and I wanna turn to you, Jesus. Would you just put your hand in the air? We really don't do this a lot. I don't usually ask this, but I just, as a commitment for yourself, you're saying, listen, my hand is raised boldly, profoundly for Jesus more than anything else. I've been walking my own path. I've been just like Peter. In fact, recently I denied him, but I don't, I don't want to live in that shame or guilt. I want to be bold and proud. Would you just put your hands straight to the sky just between you and him? I'm the only one with my eyes open just to see. Lord, you see hands raised here. You see hearts turning towards you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for, for this story of, of how you reinstated Peter and how you took your closest friend, a reckless disciple, and you, you gave him an identity that that allows him to see himself the way you see him. And, and Jesus, I just pray right now over every person that they would now see themselves the way that you see them. Lord, that they would see themselves as a child of God running to you. Maybe in your own words right now, just as we stand here, you can even just say under your breath, Lord, I'm sorry. Thank you for the cross. I turn towards you. Just even that, Even just that idea of repentance, Lord, I'm sorry. I thank you for the cross and I'm turning to you. Go ahead, if you've had your hand raised, just say even on your breath, in your heart, Lord, I'm sorry. Thank you for your love and I'm running towards you. God, would we be a a, a people, a church, would every person in here run towards you? I pray for every heart, every hardship every difficulty, every denial, that people would know, Jesus, that there is no one too far from you, God. I pray whatever they're facing, whatever they have said, whatever they have denied, Lord, I pray that they would come under you submitting, Lord, that we need you more than anything else. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection. That gives an incredible victory for every single one of us. And I pray that this commitment here tonight would would honestly place us, God, back on our feet. It would help us to stand boldly saying, Lord, I love you. I love what you did for me. Thank you for what you did for me. I give you all the honor and all the glory. Would you stand to your feet all across this room? Lord, we thank you again so much. Just now as we stand and we lift our hands in worship as we wrap up the seventh of seven services today, Lord, we say in Jesus' name, Thank you for the cross. Come on, somebody. Someone thankful for the cross tonight? Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray that grace would come just crashing over every heart here tonight. For the person who just feels so broken and lost, would your mercy and grace just come crashing over them like wave after wave? And would they know and feel such a sense of love and care and restoration? Lord, I pray that we could stand tall tonight knowing what you have done, the victory you have won, and that we couldn't do without you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did. And everybody said...